the idea of franchising, again, I think it was from our clients. Turns out I wasn't the world's greatest graphic designer, but because we had a logo, we had logoed shirts, branded trucks, a website, brochures, people would ask a lot if we were a franchise. And I believe that was enough for my brother to go, maybe we should. Oh my gosh, franchise, I mean, our logo stinks. We've got four points of data entry when a new client comes in. So I saw all the obstacles and the systems that weren't polished enough. Everything that we did was on purpose to someday be able to hand somebody the book. Here's exactly how you do our business how you do a job, how you structure your skills ladder for the employees to move up through. In 2007 through 2014, that's how long it took us to develop it. And then from 2014 to 20, we grew organically. We had 22 franchisees going into this year, and we're going to end the year probably around 90. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. Today's guest is Ryan Parsons. Ryan is the chief solutionist for the Brothers That Just Do Gutters, a general contracting franchise with locations around the country. He joins Chris today to discuss his initial career change out of the graphic design industry, his decision to go into business with his brother, and some of the growing pains they have gone through to be an established franchise. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Thank you, everyone, for joining for another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. Today, I have Ryan Parsons, the chief solutionist at the Brothers That Just Do Gutters. He started out as a graphic designer for a startup uh, straight out of college, and he worked his way up to the vice president of that company before throwing everything into the proverbial gutter, and literal gutter in this case. He got into the gutter business in 2002 when he joined up with his brother, Ken, who started the business in 1999. Together, they decided they were going to revolutionize the gutter industry. In 2004, he became the co-owner and VP and fell in love with the business. Their goal is to become the largest gutter company in the Hudson Valley, then the state, and then the country. He has said that he- And then the world. And then the world. (laughs) And then the universe. Uh, He has said that he really enjoys the creative process, and because of his fine art and graphic design background, he has created all of the branding, job forms, websites, and brochures, and all the other miscellaneous things for the company. Since getting into the gutter business, he has been implementing changes and improvements to the systems that affect every aspect of the business. He has helped them streamline everything from the installation process to their actual service. So without further ado, uh, Ryan Parsons, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, Chris, thanks so much for having me. I love this stuff. Um, so first thing I, that when I was reading your background and I, I saw you uh, present at the Nolan Consulting uh, Summit, um, your graphic design uh, background and went straight out of college and into this startup. What was the startup and how and how did graphic design tie into that? So the startup was, uh, it was a basically a design firm. They were building websites, presentations, things like that. It was back when uh, flash uh, animation was like the next big thing and everybody had these flash intros to their website. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I, I started and it was a dot com, very exciting. They had a um, proprietary website that was uh, basically if you went to Amazon and went through this website, anything that you bought would donate money towards your cause. So they had this like kind of cool, trendy Silicon Valley idea. But like a lot of dot coms, it became a dot bomb. And uh, mm. I found myself trying to find a 
a, a different path. Ah, okay. And I landed in the gutter. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so graphic design is that uh, the I'm assuming that's a piece of you that uh, you still and you mentioned uh, you still found an outlet to solve problems in the creative space with that. Yeah, it's 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 huge because I mean when you look at where I was going and and anybody that looks back on their career, what I noticed and it was only in the last year that this hit me. It's it's all about taking an opportunity, right? But that's only the first step. The second step is creating an opportunity. And that's what I realized I did in almost everything I've ever done, whether it was sports in high school, whether it was a job. I always ended up somewhere in leadership, somewhere just making my way to the top. So my brother gave me an opportunity to just literally hang gutter and make some money while I was trying to get back on my feet and, and um, get back into the graphic design world or freelance or whatever I was doing. But what was crazy is as I'm looking at his business through my marketing or graphic design eye or mind, I'm like looking at his service business and I'm going, Ken, like, do you have a website? And what's crazy is nobody in the service industry had a website in 2002. This is like, you know, media companies, big, like, uh, white collar companies were just getting into the game, just upping it, realizing that they can do more on the web. I mean, it, this was back when like, if you put a video on the web, you'd have to run it through Sorensen and all this other filters just so that it could actually load in under like 10 minutes. This was like the beginning. So it was really cool that I was able to take what was advanced for the service industry and bring it to my brother, his one man operation and build him a website and it was really cool that given my talents and interests, I got to apply that to my brother's trade business and the gutters. Mm -hmm. And it was so cool to be, you know, and it was timely. It, this was when, when I first joined for the first few years, the Yellow Pages. This is a big, thick book that used to sit on as a kid in the car, you know, to be taller. This is the, basically the number one way that people would find, especially at trades, they needed a plumber, a carpenter. Because no so one was online, so everybody would just naturally go to the phone book because, of course, no yeah. gutter guy or plumber guy is on there. Yeah. Yeah. So what was cool is like we were still huge in the phone book, and we did more and more, but we had a website. And as we started to see less and less coming through the phone book and more and more on the internet, what was really cool is we were like two to three years ahead of our competition. We literally pulled out of the phone book and for two, three more years, our competition was trying to go bigger, add color, and all these other things in a losing in the phone battle. Book? <laughs> yeah, in the phone book. It was the only thing you could do. If you didn't get enough leads one year, the next year you added color or went one size Larger bigger. size, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're stuck for a year. I mean, it's oh, crazy. Brutal. So we were ahead of the game, and uh, it was really fun. But yeah, it's just kind of crazy how... Uh, before you know it, I'm not installing, I'm doing the estimates, I'm doing the marketing, I'm doing the admin, uh, and eventually we hired an admin, I'm doing the estimates, and then, you know, as things just progressed, I continued to move up, uh, and that was never the intention, and then before you know it, I'm a partner, uh, an owner, and the vision for the company starts to grow, so it's just such a crazy thing to think that I started out, the only thing my brother wanted me to do was help him on a gutter truck. And he would have been happy if that's all I ever did. Um, but so I really like the the story of it's about taking an opportunity, but always look right where you are. 
You don't have to switch jobs to find opportunity sometimes. I really feel like I'm operating in all my gifts right within a gutter company. Go figure. Mm, totally. I love that. The um, Something that I have uh, thought about a lot is the, um, it's see, and when I joined Webfoot as uh, their first marketing employee, I uh, didn't, I mean, I was, I had originally applied for a sales job, you know, stuff happened. I declined the job and then came back and stayed in contact with Gavin and Travis. And they were like, Hey, like, do you want to be the marketing employee? And they didn't have anyone in house at the time. And since then, two and a half years ago, it's interesting how the vision and the opportunity, like you're describing kind of like blossoms and there's like more and more and more. But yeah, I mean, when I, it's still to the, I mean, even now when I tell people like, oh, I'm the marketing director for this painting company, they're kind of like, like, what do you mean? Like, what are you marketing or what do you like? Why would a painting company need a marketing director? Like, it's just very confusing because it doesn't make sense. Um, but there's so much opportunity, I think, especially in the trades because uh, they're lagging behind so many other businesses, even to this day. Wow. Like when something comes out that's applied in the tech space, I'm like a, you know, a nerd that's paying attention to that. And I'm like, ooh, we need to get that on our website. Like we need to figure out how to do that. And it sounds like yeah. you and did I love that. your stuff. I like continually forward it to our team. I'm like, dude, look at this thing they did with the digital, uh, with the Cyber Monday and the video game oh. font. I'm like, <laughs> you know, because one thing I really appreciate and I still don't think we're there. Um, Webfoot is awesome at getting their personality of their company through everything. And I think that's mm. such a hard thing to to be lighthearted, to be professional, to be goofy, but caring. I mean, everything that those guys are is starting to come through in almost everything they do. And kudos to you. That is not easy to toe that line between fun, funny, professional, um, well, well done. Very impressive. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny because on the with we have a team of six people now on the marketing team. And, uh, it's, it's interesting, like the conversations that we're having and the struggle of like, just the when it's like how everyone's dissatisfied with their own website always, you know, like you're always like, Oh, we should revamp this. And then you talk to customers and they're like, Oh, I chose you because your website was so great. And we're like, Oh, okay. Well we, yeah, it's just, you're, you're always, you'd only know what you know because you're in it. And, uh, that's good feedback that I want to share with the team, but it definitely doesn't feel like we are just like, you know, coasting into the sunset. We're just like constantly debating and struggling how to create and articulate stuff. So no, the key is to, you guys are the big dog, but you, you act like, you know, um, the underdog, you're always working to make it better. And I think that's what you need in business. You can't rest. You can't stop. Um, you always have to try and innovate and move and, and be a little better than you were six months ago. Totally. I completely agree. How does uh, graphic design, I'm trying to think of as the, so your role, chief solutionist, um, which I'm assuming is like operations person or. Yeah, we just like kind of made up the title. I'm, I'm technically the vice president, but the reason why we, we call it chief solutionist is because I, back when it was my, my brother and I, and he was the president, I'm like, you're the president of what? This truck? I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? I had his business car. I, I thought it was hilarious. So then I'm yeah. like, well, I'm the VP of sales and operation. He's like, cool. And like two of us with like one Done. employee. <laughs> yeah. So eventually like, you know, when I was doing sales, I'm like, I want to, like, I think we, 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 we do solutions. And this was back when like Steve Jobs was calling his, uh, 
salespeople, evangelists, and you know, mm. it was people were being really creative with their titles. So chief solutionist was born. I've since kind of, um, uh, you know, my title is founder uh, or co-founder, but yeah, the, it, it was all about solutions uh, yeah. in the beginning. But the way graphic design really, I really think it shaped the way we look at everything. I mean, I still drive my marketing team nuts. You know, how's this email? I'm like, ah, could you do this, this, and this? I mean, they don't even like sending me stuff because I just, I'm so picky and I I, mm. I hate it. But it does. I really think it it's helped um, everything both be coherent from the website to the trucks to the shirts. And I don't do any of that anymore. Any of the branding that you see now is is long gone from from when I've touched it. Hmm. So um, that's what's been so cool about hiring a team is, man, they just continue to do things faster, better, and and move um, things along. It's it's amazing. Totally. So one of, you mentioned uh, that you have streamlined, I'm trying to remember the word that you used, uh, streamline everything in the, in the business. Is this a, like, I, I would say that I'm like obsessed with optimization systems, automation. Is that something, is that in line with how your understanding of what you do or is it more of just Absolutely. like, yeah, tell me about that, that interest or the love for optimization of, of things. You know, I just, uh, and it's such a strange pairing of talents, you know, to be on the artistic side and then very outgoing I love like going to uh, events and things and meeting new people, but then to be so crazy about wanting to systematize and have like a um, basically a system for everything. I love it. Uh, what I realized after reading the E Myth, it just really brought it together. E Myth by Michael Gerber. They, there's a quote in there somewhere. It says, "It's not people that fail; it's systems that fail." And it was like it just it just confirmed everything I was working towards was always like, why did that break? Why is that client so mad at us because we didn't call on the way? You know what? Let's ho let's have a script. Let's have a system for how we interact with our clients. And that's like, all right. So based on the feedback, it's like, you know what? They don't like when you show up and you start knocking gutters off the house without calling or knocking on the door. Duh. So now, then we came up with a system of how our client experiences. One, you call on the way. Two, you introduce yourself and your crew when you get there. Three, you walk around the house with them. And I'm even missing stuff like putting the yard sign out before you start. But mm -hmm. everything, you know, basically, you know, a lot of people hire business coaches. We have the same business coach, but your client is your coach. They tell you what they want over and over. And all you have to do is listen and write it down. There is your business su success system. Mm. It's what your clients are telling you that you either missed or that they like. I'm always looking for the only, right? Our job as, as a marketer or a salesperson or company is to provide as many onlys as possible. For example, you're the only one that answered the phone. You're the only one that took the time to walk around the house with me and go over my project. You're the only one that introduced me to your crew. That's it. So when we're hearing only, write it down. Make sure we continue to do it, that it's not a one-up because we are feeling extra good. Mm. That, I believe, is such a key part to improving your business. I love that. That's a simple provide as many onlys as possible because we, yeah, I'm sure most of the businesses in Summit uh, are probably in the on the side where you're the only one that's called me back, and it's crazy, know, especially right so now. Crazy. 
yeah people yeah. are just like oh i didn't think you'd call back it's like what do you mean you didn't like we're a business and it's like oh, actually a lot of businesses don't call people back i guess yeah but you know what the competition's getting more savvy yeah oh, you know we, we are having people that are starting to catch up in certain areas they're starting to market they're starting you know certain things are getting less it's getting less expensive to have a website because everything's been genericized used to like be able to have a killer website. Now people just want to scroll fast with their thumb. It's really hard to really differentiate yourself. So I would say they are catching up in certain areas where it's almost like they can look like you for a second. Mm. But as soon as it comes down to the sales process or the feelings, um, it's really hard to keep up. Uh, so I think, yes, it's all about where are those onlys happening and make sure you highlight them. That's awesome. Um, as far as, so franchising is something that you guys, I don't know how many other companies in summit are franchised or are, are pursuing that, do you know? Zero. So you're the only one in that network. I'm sure that you've reached out to other networks or gotten advice from businesses that have done that. Oh yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we go to tons of conferences and now it's kind of like we, uh, we entered a different world of business. It's one thing to have a small business and grow it. It's another thing to franchise it. You're you're with a very small group. There's only like three or four thousand franchises in, mm. in out there. And then there's, you know, maybe a hundred or two hundred in the uh I don't quote that. I could be completely wrong. In the mm -hmm. service in the uh service industry. So it is kind of strange that you're 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 like part of like a very small percentage of the population that actually franchised their business. Mm. So when you get to rub elbows with people that have done it and done it successfully, it's definitely, an it's very cool. Yeah, so um, I was trying to think of the name of this. Franchising, what is it and what is it not? And the reason I'm saying it in that way is I've heard someone say that there's a lot of businesses that people think are franchises, but they're actually not. And I can't remember if McDonald's is one of those or- um, I think Starbucks is corporately owned. Okay, but so th that's like the, the example. Yeah, it's 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 a corporately owned model. They set up a location. However, they figure out the demographics. Like, yep, one will be really good here, and then they put management in place and uh, and like that. So it's corporately owned. Same thing. Like, I think you have multiple locations where you guys are. It's corporately owned. You set up. You can set up as many as you want. Um, and then the franchise model. I love the franchise model. Because you're basically systematizing your business and you're getting it to a point that somebody else can buy it and buy your system. And, you know, whether it's a subway or whatever, you're a brother's gutters and they can take it to their market and they can open and look just like you. But what I like about it is that when you're buying a franchise, you're the owner now of the company. You've got skin in the game. You've come up with the money to do it. And you've got to make it work. You know, in a corporately owned model, you know, if, if my brother and I started one in a couple states over and we hired a general manager and they quit, it's like, holy cow, who's flying out there? How are we going to make this work? And I would imagine over time you have depth and you have teams and you have all sorts of things, but it just seemed like a, 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 a way more difficult way to do it, a way to, a different way to control the outcome. So we really love the idea of franchising because it's, it's more like a win-win. You know, mm. they're using the name, they're using the system, but they're they're driven to succeed. It's not like, you know what, I just got offered a job for another $3,000, I'm out. It's like, 
<laughs> there's no such thing. They got to go make it work. And uh, I love uh, the collectiveness is that like, you know, now that there's buying power and purchasing power and just the spread of knowledge, it's so crazy that with all the locations we have that if somebody has a, a question and they throw it up on one of the feeds that we have within minutes, they're getting two, three, four answers from their peers, which mm. is awesome. Yeah, so there's just definitely a lot of advantages to it. It short tracks their success. Anybody who started a, I mean, even think in painting. I mean, if you had to guess how much, how much percent of your competition is owner operator? Oh, I, I would assume that it's pretty, or, or you're saying like the guy in a truck, right? Yeah, just owner operator, one truck. How many in your, if in your area, do you think it's 90% or owner operator? Yeah, I would say it's probably 90%, but granted, there's probably three businesses like us that are a more large percentage of the market. But yeah, as far as quantity, I would say probably 90%. Yeah. And it's like that across the entire trades. So what's so cool about this is most people in the service-based business can't figure out how to get past one or two crews. And whether mm. they've tried or not, they just don't have the system for it or they haven't been able to be mentored enough to go, guys, just stay, stay the course. Yeah. Owner operator, you can make great money. To, you know, you almost have to triple the size of your business to get to the money you used to make by yeah. yourself. But then yeah. once you get the fourth crew, the fifth crew, I mean, uh, you know, the Webfoot boys have seen it firsthand um, mm -hmm. and how you can exponentially grow. And that's what we're doing in franchising is we're teaching people how to get past the painful part of a business, which is startup and one truck and yeah. one crew and all those things. So it's been really, uh, really fulfilling, really fun. And I, I love the franchise model. At the end of the day, yes, they do pay a royalty, but what we receive in a royalty is less than you would have to pay um, somebody who would be like your partner, right? Yeah. That would be like if somebody had all the knowledge, I've, I've run that kind of business before, I've, I've built teams and all this other stuff, you're paying them more than you'd pay us in royalty um, and, and we're getting you there. So it's a partnership for sure. And so I'm like, uh, if I'm, in your situation, because I'm sure that you can set up what aspects of the business the franchise is like supporting. And I don't know, is it called like, are you guys called corporate and then yes. you have franchise? So like yep. if we're talking about corporate, it's back at the corporate office for Brothers Gutters and you guys create the website. Um, like what what uh, what are they required to use versus what do they have the freedom to go solve on their own in your situation? So basically they're required to use our, our call center. So we have a team of like 20 people answering phones and all of them, no, no one ever argues that. They're like awesome for the Sweet, yeah. two and a half, three percent it costs them to uh, have a, a team from, you know, they've got like nine, 10 hours a day coverage uh, for I mean, a million dollar company pays 20, 30,000 a year to have every phone answered, every estimate scheduled and every job scheduled. I mean, mm. they collect payments. Anybody that calls, they pretty much take care of it. So that's a huge benefit. We do. Um, we have a, a marketing team in-house that manages their entire digital spend. Uh, and then there's stuff that we don't do for them. We don't hire their people, but we train them on how to, how to hire, how to read a resume, how to interview, all the stuff. So we're big on teaching how to fish rather than fishing for them. So there's a lot of things that we do. Um, software, uh, the truck wraps. I mean, we have a, a, 
a national deal that we all the wraps look exactly the same. Like there's a lot of stuff that we do. So day one of a franchise opening, they could be hanging their first gutter and they look like they've been doing it for 20 years. So mm. that's what's really cool. We do all the training. They send their teams up. We have peer groups. We have uh, one-to-one coaching. You name it, we're doing so much support that we're really on them. They do all their local marketing efforts. So they're putting out their own yard signs and door knockers and joining chambers and BNIs and, uh, and that kind of stuff. They're, they're, they're definitely in charge of getting their local market heated up. And they just got to find people make sure that they're training them properly, plugging them into the system. But that's it. We want to we take as many hats off as possible so that they can just build a company quickly. You know, mm. Our goal is that in their first full year, they hit a million dollars. And right. we've been pretty successful at making that happen. So the um, one other thing I'm thinking is, let's say I start a, a franchise for you guys, and I'm uh, more ambitious than the average. I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there as a random example. And you're, I'm assuming there's like, all right, Chris, you know, learn the systems, you know, take it easy for a year. And then I'm like, okay, I got it. I want to grow fast. Is there a discussion with like, I want you to spend four times as much on my digital marketing than you're spending for the other average company. And that's still like, so as the business or as the franchise owner of my location, I'm still in communication with your marketing team to say, we want to go really aggressive. We've got these plans for growth and we'd like X number of leads or we want to spend this amount. Like, how does that yeah. work? Absolutely. It's just, it's uh, fairly easy percentages. In your first year, you're going to spend at least 10% on marketing. No one knows who you are. Yeah. So you're going to have to spend more money to, to get the, the, the machine moving. You're going to get, you're, you're, you know, Google's like an auction. If I just show up for the first time, like, I'm here, give me some leads. They're like, ah, well, there's a lot of people that have been here for a while. I'll give you a couple, and then mm-hmm. let's see if you're here next month. So we've realized it takes about three to six months sometimes for Google to really, I don't care if we come to the table with $20,000 a month, they, it, it takes a little bit of time for them to really um, give you the market share that you want and drive that uh, percentage of cost per lead down. So exactly, so somebody who's just, you know, all right, you know, first year I'd like to hit whatever, a million dollars in my second year or whatever. Um, and then versus somebody who bought like a huge territory and they want to be a five, $10 million company in five years. Yeah. It basically comes down to your first year. You're going to have to probably spend at least 10%. And if you're going to be, if you want to do $2 million, I mean, we're probably looking at five to 7% of that as a marketing spend. And then we really, we, we, we even cook it down to like leads are one thing, but if you need a killer salesperson, so you know, we know it's possible to close 50, 60%, 70% of the work that you look at and having average sales of whatever, two, $3,000. So again, you need less leads if you have a better salesperson. And mm. sometimes we, we find the battle is there. Sometimes people are, oh, I need more leads. It's like, really? The leads looked pretty healthy. And then you dig in and their guy's closing at 20% and they have an average sale of like mm. 1,200. And you're like, you guys are, you got like $200,000 left on the table, you know? And I, I really do. I think of it like, what a loss. Every time you don't get a job that somebody else would have gotten, that's your your lettered truck leaving the shop for people to see. That's a yard sign people don't see. That's a five-star review that would help your Google 
ranking. That's them referring you to a neighbor. It's like unbelievable how much marketing dollars get squandered mm. because of poor um, sales salesmanship. Yeah, that's a super interesting. Um, I like. I mean, I'm just thinking that when if you're the, how much are you guys? Like, um, again, I'm just super interested on this idea of the growth and you guys have growth plans that is dependent on how much your franchise grows, franchisees grow their businesses. So are you, um, I'm trying to uh, relate this to Webfoot Concrete Coatings has three locations and we're going to have five locations next year in different metro areas. So we have like we, you know, the senior leadership team sits down and says, here's our revenue. This is what we're anticipating from these different markets. Um, but we're dictating that. I'm assuming that in your role, do you like how much are you encouraging or advising and like, hey, you know, you guys are in, you know, San Antonio or Houston, like you should be like, I think you could easily do five or, or whatever versus just like sitting back and being kind of the the coach that's like, you tell me what you want and I'll help you get there. Yeah, it's a little bit of both because as long as we've been doing this, we're not, nobody's even close to saturation in any one of their markets. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when somebody buys a territory, one territory is 75,000 owner-occupied dwellings with average income over, I don't know, 60, 70 grand. I forget all the parameters. And I truly believe that in one territory, they should be doing no less than one to two million dollars. Um, so some people buy three territories. So it's easy to say, well, then, you know, six million. Um, we've seen some marketing statistics that when you're doing one percent of the population on a yearly basis, that's about saturation. But we've already broke that, too. It's you know, it's kind of uh I, I wish I could say that we've got it figured out, but I guess we haven't been franchised long enough to actually really see where saturation is. And we've been doing gutters for 22 years in, in, the, in the New York Hudson Valley region. And it's hilarious that there's people that I run into that, like, oh my gosh, like it, it almost feels a little embarrassing. You're one of the brothers. I see your trucks everywhere. You know, it's like, oh, thanks. But I could be 10 minutes away or literally one one county over and they're like brothers that just do gutters that's a cute name i'm like cute i mean we've been in your area for 22 you, yeah. years yeah like and that's it just goes to show that we're not even close there's acres of diamonds in your backyard mm -hmm. and i i find that a lot of the franchisees even business owners they keep thinking they got to go wide it's like man just keep going deeper like there's so much depth right under your feet and people People are looking all over the place like, oh, man, how are we going to – I remember our first franchisee, he did like 250 in his first year, but it wasn't a full year. Second year, 500, and he just couldn't fathom. He goes, where are we going to find the other 250? I don't get it. Like, do we have to get more territory? I'm like, no, no, it'll be there. The next year, it was like 750, and he was one of the slower growers. It was the first franchise. Now they're doing like a million in their first full year. And to this day, now he stops questioning it. I mean, he just hit over $3 million. And, mm. and, and we actually ran a report. We did a map overlay. You should do this. It's crazy. You basically export all your zip codes to a CSV file and overlay mm. it on Google Maps. We have this Chibis program that we can use. But, and it was insane that this guy that thought maybe he needed to buy like the Philadelphia market, you know, because he, he didn't know how he's going to do the next million. 
it turns out like 90% of his business was like 15 minutes from his shop. It was crazy. Yeah. So I really think to truly saturate a market, you probably have to have satellite locations because that beehive effect is just gigantic. Salespeople, you you never do as good as where you live. You know, uh, Gavin Mm -hmm. and Travis, I mean, they're such giving um, community people, but how do you do community two hours from your shop? It's never going to be what it's going to be there. So hiring people that live in that, even if it's 30 minutes away, it makes such a difference to have a bunch of beehives where trucks are coming out of salespeople. People are going Mm. to the softball games with their, you know, web foot or brother's gutter shirt on. Um, So I really think it's a really interesting thing. Take your jobs that you're getting, export them, and you can upload them through Google. There's some instructions on the internet. You can overlay them on a map. It'll, It'll blow your mind. Uh, the amount of and you're saying spaces. specifically is just you you look at just zip codes like quantity do you like a heat map of yep. number quantity of jobs based on zip code and then look at a yep. zip code map you of can that. actually do it by address I've done it by address before and it like just puts so many pins because zip yeah. codes are a little broad so if you're you know you're like us your average sales probably like double or triple so you'll have a little but you're like also a 10 million dollar company so yeah it's really interesting to see the address and overlay it. And you're going to see these heat maps um, that you're like, what? How are we not doing anything in that entire corridor? Mm. And uh, it could help you realize that you might need to join a BNI over there, do some other efforts to start mm. filling in your your empty zones. That's awesome. And what do you say? Jibist is the software that you use? Jibist, it's, I mean, it's going to, it's like, I, we spell, spend thousands of dollars a year for it because of franchising, this is how we build territories. Okay. Um, but, but that's what it's called, J I B I S T. G G I B I S, I believe. Oh, but I okay. think we spend like three or five grand a year just to have that. That. Um, but I've done this plenty of times through Google Maps. There, yeah, you we've do, done. Uh, mm-hmm. Had a uh, export uh, address list into Google Maps. You'll find the instructions in two seconds. It's just a CSV, and then it does like this little yeah. pinpointed overlay. Very very cool. That's awesome. Um, the and one other thing that caught my attention was the one you said something about one percent something is an indication of saturation. W- what was that metric? One yeah, percent of what? Population. So if there's a hundred thousand people in your area, and you're doing you a thousand do thousand jobs, and you know that's uh, that's you, man, you're freaking, you're the best. And you're, that's you're, a that's a like service industry average that someone um, came up with. I wish with. I can say I remember, and I'm hoping I'm even quoting it properly, but I believe my marketing team was talking and consulting with somebody, and uh, and that's you know because we've been trying to uh, really nail down like what is saturation for mm-hmm. our franchisees, but even that number, it's not right. It's not right. Yeah. Um, at yeah. least for us. At yeah, least for who, us because, obviously the service could be radically different or what what you're offering can yeah. change yeah um that's super interesting i love those little nuggets that one of the things that we've tried to figure out for ourselves is how uh when we're trying to go into a market and you know just looking at population like okay how big is boise where we have a location and look at the surrounding area and then try to compare that to the portland metro area which is obviously like two million people boise's like three or four hundred thousand like 
is there a number that uh we can distill out on like is it like you're saying is it a one percent that's a customer and then you multiply that by the average job size and that's our that's it or is there some other metric but i like the idea it sounds like there's tools to uh uh like eliminate uh you know multifamily or uh, household income below a certain amount to try and identify more closely where your target demographic is and find how many of those there are, which is what you're saying, right? Yeah. I mean, the reason why we do that is because like, it could be unfair if somebody's buying a territory and there's a huge, um, naval station or something and the Mm. population or, you know, it's like, we're not getting all those jobs or if there's a huge, condo living yeah condos are great they're great you know they need our services too but if it's all skyscrapers you know like we're not doing gutters and the population's going to throw it off so um owner occupied dwellings gives gives us a a a baseline you know you're going to get the commercial jobs you know there's condo complexes and there's things like that and even if there is a military base you might be able to do work there but if there's you know a thousand people living there and there's eight buildings it's just it's not it's not fair to them to have to spend extra money on a zip code that might have a good amount of the population that might not even have a chance. So because we're selling a franchise in a territory, we found that that was a fair way geographically so that they got um, just as much earning potential as somebody who might be in like a really concentrated uh, Virginia Beach area versus like a really rural area. So we've just noticed when we're using that parameter, depending on where you are, some territories are big and some territories are like this you know mm. uh, they can get a, across their entire territory in 10 15 minutes in some instances and others it could be an hour tip to tip depending on the population of that those parameters that's super interesting when did you guys decide to go the franchising route what like how many years were you guys in business so 2000 or 1999 was when your brother started it at what mm-hmm. point were you like ooh, franchising this could be an interesting thing to experiment with Go, go figure. It was in the middle of the uh, two thousand seven eight recession. Nice. So, so if you can weather we that, budgeted, then you're good, right? Yeah, we weathered that. The, the actual gutter business grew during that. I, I'll spare you the details on the whole story, but we uh, diversified prior to that. We were doing like building houses and new construction, and we thought we were so cool. Um, and we basically started to lose a ton of money on the construction effort, and we kept borrowing from gutters to mm. pay make payroll and. All, cover all of our mistakes and before you know it we basically emptied both bank accounts uh right when the recession was like in full effect like we didn't know we didn't we weren't mature enough in business to see the writing on the wall and got, mm. i mean we just kept doing what we were doing and uh and, and uh almost found ourselves bankrupt <laughs> oh man so we had to reconfigure but i what the idea of franchising again i think it was from our clients when even though i Turns out I wasn't the world's greatest graphic designer, but because we had a um, a logo, we had logoed shirts, we had branded trucks, a website, brochures, people would ask a lot if we were a franchise. And I believe that was enough for my brother to go, maybe we should. And we don't mm. know a lot about it. In the beginning, it's like we just thought of it as like kind of mailbox money. Wow, if we franchise and then we're getting a portion of that, there's our retirement. That was like kind of as far as we got. In the beginning, it wasn't, you know, philanthropic and we're going to change lives. And, you know, it was just like, hey, this could be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was interesting that my, my brother is a visionary 
And uh, I don't know if uh, I be, I'm imagining between Gavin and Travis, you've got a visionary and an implementer, the integrator, somebody who comes up with the crazy ideas and somebody who's got to figure out all the steps to get that crazy idea. And that every good partnership typically has one of those. And so my brother and the visionaries are typically impatient. They come up with this idea and they wonder why it can't be done tomorrow. Mm. And the integrator, me, the implementer, is the one who's like, oh my gosh, I mean, franchise, I mean, our logo stinks. Um, we're, we've got four points of data entry at the moment when a new client comes in. I mean, this was like 2007. There was no APIs and everything integrating in the cloud. So I saw all the obstacles and the systems that weren't polished enough. And that was it. Out of the recession, everything that we did was on purpose to someday be able to hand somebody the book of here's exactly how you do our business. This is exactly how you do a job. This is exactly how you structure your skills ladder for the the, the employees to, to, to move up through. So from 2007 to 14, that's exactly what we did. Um, and in 2010, we started two pilot locations um, just to test out our, see if this was any good. And uh, a lot of things were, and a lot of things weren't. There were some things that broke immediately, and that's why we have a contact center. That's why we have a lot of the things that we have. That's why we realized we needed to get our our uh, desktop versions of software moved to the cloud. So mm. it was really cool. We didn't we didn't franchise too soon. We didn't find ourselves in the place where we franchise, and then all of a sudden we're trying to keep up. Um, so yeah, I, to answer your question, 2007 through 2014, that's how long it took us to develop it. And then from 2014 to 20, we grew organically and we had, I think we had 22 franchisees going into this year and we're going to end the year probably around 90. Wow. That's awesome. Congratulations yeah. on that. That's sweet. Yeah, it's crazy. How many, how, like how many territories are there and are you guys looking at the whole country? Yeah, the whole country. We're not with with uh, franchising. You have to get registration. Like, there's 13 states that you have to register, and there's a couple that just aren't worth registering in right now, just because they're so difficult and hoops and this, that, and the other thing. But for the most part, uh, minus two or three states, uh, we can sell franchises in every state, and uh, and and we are. I mean, we're just opening up. It's. I, I wish I could say we had a strategic approach it just didn't work like that i would have loved to have surrounded ourselves first like mm. have the first five ten like within driving distance but they just show up where they show up people find you and they could be in boise idaho and mm. before you know it you got one in boise idaho right that's awesome what's the hardest part so after it sounds like what is that seven years of like aggressive not aggressive it's the wrong intentional growth um What's the hardest part of franchising? I mean, I know what the hardest part is right now, but the hardest part um, is finding franchisees in the beginning. You know, like it's one thing. We figured out how to find clients. You guys know how to find clients. You got that figured out. You were a painting company. You're not doing floor coatings. You applied the same process and boom. You know, we know how to do that. But now how do you get in front of somebody who's, from corporate America, and they're like, you know what? Screw this job. I'm sick of working at home. I'm sick of whatever this, you know, like however people do it. And then they just literally Google like best franchise. You know, I don't know what they do. How in the world do I have that person look at me? 
that is an insane game to figure out. Mm. Yeah, so now you've so, got this. You got to figure out the the B to C part, and now it's not B to B necessarily, but you've got this whole other marketing problem of how do we get our name out as a good franchise, which is a totally different problem that someone's yeah. searching for than a gutter replacement. Yep, and nobody wants to be the guinea pig, right? So why would I buy a Brothers franchise when I can buy a Certipro or I can buy something else in the service space that has 10, 100 franchisees or whatever that has more mm. of a track So you record. have to get to the critical so really mass. Huh? And then it, you get to the critical mass and then all of a sudden it, it gets a little bit easier just because of the word of mouth and the validity that others provide. Yep. So 85, I th again, I, I hate when I do statistics because I'm probably normally wrong, but I believe 85% of people that franchise are, their business never make it past 10 franchisees. So mm. we're among the 15% of people they get more that than... franchise their business. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Um, what ha You said what the hardest thing is versus the hardest thing now. What is the hardest thing now? Outside of like some of the stupid crap that everyone's dealing with, like, you know, just finding trucks or certain materials, like that's just, you know, I think that's a temporary Standard. pain point mm -hmm. um, that I don't care what industry you're in, you're dealing with some sort of something like that. But really, I, I think the most painful part is is their, their first three months, mm -hmm. um, the startup. So people are high as kites. They're, they're talking to p franchisees who are doing well. And uh, I don't, even if it's a franchise business, I don't think they realize how hard it is to get the franchise off the ground, F find your first few employees, uh, let have the marketing kick in, uh, all those nuances. Learn, not only are you learning a brand new business, you know, you, nobody knows who you are yet. So I think a lot of people get um, scared, you know, mm. after their first month or two, and they're like, oh my gosh, I, 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 I didn't realize it might be this hard or I, I, I still don't have a great lead or my salesperson's terrible and now I got to fire them. They're going through a lot of startup jitters and I hate that part of the business. I'll tell you right mm. now, it's just, man, I wish I could always just fast forward to their third or sixth month, you know, because everything always turns out all right. Once, you know, the everything starts to, to kick in and, and before you know it, um, you kind of go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was kind of painful in the beginning. I forgot. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of the hardest part is no matter how much we prep them, no matter how much we say it's difficult, um, we still find that, you know, um, it's it's painful. I hate to see when, when uh, you know, and that's not across the board. I mean, uh, a lot of people that are buying franchises, some of them have deep pockets and they're like, I don't care if I make a dime for the first two years. And then there's other people that literally put in their life savings and they need to make some money. They can't not have income for more than a month or two. So I mm. think depending on your financial and capitalization, you know, how well you're capitalized dictates your emotions when you mm. go through the uh, the roller coasters in the beginning. So Totally. Um, I assume that with one thing that you have to have gotten pretty good at is disseminating information and instructions or plan rollouts, uh, revamps of, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of all the things that with a single location is not that hard, but then all mm -hmm. of a sudden you've got, you know, 90 locations and now it's like, oh yeah, we need to make sure you can't just like, 
you know, make a change on a Tuesday and, you know, by the end of the following week, it's, you're all set, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. Um, some things are more difficult than others. Obviously like switching a CRM, like we decided to do this year is a freaking nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what CRM did you go from and to? Uh, service bridge, which is, you know, a great CRM, but just kind of lacks the back end that we needed as a franchise, like very nice and easy to use. But as far as the back end and reporting, it was, uh, it, it really wasn't a truly open API. Mm. Um, it was, but it wasn't. So we moved to service Titan, which is just ridiculously robust, but we, you know, it, it takes a lot to, uh, to deploy it. It's a little bit more difficult on the user end that we're working through, but the back end is absolutely ridiculous. Um, as far as the reporting, the dashboards, a truly open API with webhooks so mm. that we can really have instant information. Our franchisees, um, you know, I think all of us are still doing some sort of manual automation. I need that number, but all right, we got to export it and then divide it by this. And then we can, I, I hate that. I mean, I, I cannot wait till everything is kind of in real time and you pull up your dashboard and you can see your KPIs and you can see your business health. So true business intelligence is right around the corner for us, but we had Mm. to move to a more robust CRM in order to be able to plug other things into it. Mm. So that's painful. A lot of the other stuff, it's, um, you know, it's like anything else. We, We use SharePoint which has been fantastic to have all the locations, have access to everything from production. As something as silly as a meeting format, you can go into the the SharePoint and look at what the meeting format should look like for a production meeting, for a sales meeting. So all the information's there and, and what's great, it's no longer like email me that or print it. If I change something and I just go in the SharePoint and I change the logo or I change a something, it's live. The next time someone goes in there, they don't have, you know, so that's been really cool is, is, is every single person that gets a Brothers Gutters email automatically gets the Microsoft suite. They have access to SharePoint and all the cool things. And the great thing is if we part ways with them, we just shut their email off and they lose access to everything. So it has been, there's just so many cool things that we have so that we can roll something out. Um, but we're trying to get better at rollouts as much as we change things, have a lunch and learn. It's funny how like we probably always need to just have a couple more touches to truly roll something out and make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, That's one thing that I've found that you almost have to look at rollouts like a campaign, like Mm. a marketing campaign. It just can't be a one ad and done. It's like a, it's like a save the date and then this, and then a Mm. lunch and learn, and then here's some videos and here's a reminder and we're going to do a newsletter and then we're going to feature this in the next peer group. Yeah. Almost have to look at everything you roll out as a full campaign. Mm. And then a recap and here's the video if in case you forgot. And And here's a reminder. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll say, I wish you would remind us more on that. I didn't realize how important the Google, my business page is. I'm like, Guys, yeah, we'll try and day, go like, from 14 reminders to 16 just for you, Paul. <laughs> well, well, that's it. It's like, you know, if it was about, I mean, we've just realized that I can't remind you every day. I can't have a text message that's got 75 bullet points. We have all the resources. We do all the training. And I've realized no matter what, no matter how much you train in the beginning, it's, it's only real to them when they need it. 
right? Yeah, exactly. I like, totally um, agree. In the yeah, beginning you, you, of our business. Same thing with marketing. We'll push out marketing updates. These are the promos that we're running this month. And it's like we've tried and reiterated like okay, and tried different methods of delivering. And every month we get a phone call from either a customer or not a customer, a sales rep or the scheduler or the receptionist. It's like, hey, this customer's calling about this coupon for whatever. And it's like, yeah, that was mentioned in on the website, in the uh, the ops meeting and in the sales meeting. You know, and we sent a text out at the beginning of the month with a video update. It's just like, oh, well, yeah. I didn't, you know, I wasn't paying attention because I didn't need it then, you know. Well, that and the more the more things that you do, the more it becomes noise. Exactly. You know? And so yeah. if you do too many things, it's all noise. Yeah. And I just realized that, you know what, in the beginning of our business, if we're at a conference and I'm literally learning, I'm trying to do the basics of my business and they're like, hey, come to this session about succession planning you know, and how to pass your business to your kids. I'm like, I'm not even close to that. I don't care. Yeah. So, but now I care, you know, 10, 20 years later, I'm like, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta circle back on that stuff. Where is that stuff? So that's what we've realized is like, you know what, let's at least have all the resources. There's going to be a time when all of a sudden they're really interested in marketing or close rates or balance sheets or cash flow planning, but day one, they might not be. So that that's what we've learned is have all the resources that you can, and then when it's real to them, point them in the right direction. Mm, that's awesome. Um, so I have, I mean, there's a couple other topics I don't necessarily want to open up because there's too much there. I'm curious if there's anything in particular that is um, whether it could be something that surprised you the most or uh, a cool hack. You're, you know, the thing you're most proud of. Um, yeah, what, what else is on your mind as we wrap up the conversation? Hmm. The one thing that surprised me the most was how meaningful us franchising is to the franchisees. How we are truly, it sounds cheesy and I don't even want to say it out loud, but we're literally changing lives and trajectories of people and their families. And I didn't realize until we got like our first phone call from a franchisee in 2015 or 16. And they're like, I just want to thank you so much. We were able to buy a house. We were able to do this. My husband and I now are like, have time. Like he's never come to any of my kids things. And now he's able to make everything. Thank you so mm. much. You know, and we get that often. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I, I was completely surprised how fulfilling that is and how I mean, it's been a painful journey for my brother and I to get to where we are. I mean, it was so much sacrifice, so many times not paying ourselves to pay others and just prolonging, you know, uh, delayed gratification. I'll tell you, it, it, it's been a long road. I mean, people, it, they say it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. And and we really do feel we're that almost way. almost there, it's, yeah. We're almost there. So I'll tell you, that was the biggest surprise is how fulfilling. It's not, it's not the money. It's not any of that. It, it is literally that humble thank you and appreciation from from the franchisees that we literally have done something that is going to affect them for generations and that I'll tell you is the that's been the biggest surprise I, I don't know why but I never 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 calculated that being part of it mm, that's awesome uh, the other uh, so my last couple questions here are book recommendations um, mm. and you could give me I've had people give me their best book of all time or the last three you read or your top five or however you want to go about that 
I'll just tell you what I think of in no particular order. Um, I mean, shoot, Rocket Fuel was huge for us because that really helped understand the partnership of my brother and I. He's the visionary. It talks about the visionary and integrator. That was a, awesome. I think it was Gino Wickman. His other book, Traction, just like, I mean, that's the playbook on how to run your business. Unbelievable. Get it, follow it, your business will change. I really enjoyed the one thing. Don't remember the author, but is that it a really, Gary again, Keller? Yes. Yeah. It really confirmed that, man, oh man, like most people don't stick to something long enough. They just, they try something. I don't know. I tried real estate. Now I'm over here. Now I'm over here. Man, oh man, like because my brother and I stuck to the one thing gutter, I mean, we just continue to invent more ways of doing the same thing. And, uh, and who knows, we might go into Canada, we might go into the UK, we might, I mean, it's just unbelievable what you can do. Um, really love that one. Uh, there's, a, there's a really cool book I read, The Science of Getting Rich. It's not what you think, but it was really cool. Yeah, I could just, I could just go on. Um, a, lot of, a lot of good books. Yeah, those are kind of some of the, the, the oh, and Clone Yourself. That was a really good one. Uh, it, it was really kind of like it, 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 uh, it brought a little bit of something from almost all the books we've ever read. It was kind of mm. funny how it just, you know, had a little bit of everything and it was kind of a, a really cool book, um, to read. So yeah, I guess that's a lot of big spattering of, of stuff for you. That's all, I mean, I love, uh, book recommendations. I've read the one thing, haven't read Rocket Fuel or the other two. So, um. I love getting to expand my my reading list. And every, mindset every by time. Carol Dweck. That Ooh, was a, like, oh man, that was eye opening, especially for my children. Like just to look at him, go, holy cow, fixed mindset. And like it was just, oh, uh, yeah. man, oh man, there's just you know, it was just some really good ones. Really, how good. many oh, books would I, you say you read a year? It it, it well varies. I read the beginning of a lot spurts. of books a year. <laughs> <laughs> How many books do you start a year? Yeah, versus oh, finish. Probably a dozen or so. Yeah. Um, I do Audible. I really like the Ten X Rule. A lot of people don't like Grant Cardone, but um, I just mm. like that book. He uh, especially on Audible, it felt like a seminar. And, oh, totally. Uh, you know, if you're feeling a little. Uh, deflated or i mean that just fires you up and it just is like get off your butt man just go do it uh yeah. really enjoyed that i believe is probably the best audible listen i've ever had you know mm. yeah i'm i'm uh, big in the audible world i physical books that i've read is like yeah, not as not as impressive but i will just i breathe audiobooks <laughs> just That's like awesome you know, so I, I love listening to stuff. I just found like, that like my I don't retain as well in Audible, and but the other thing is I I just in in general I found that there's seasons for me. There's times I really just can't put much more into my brain. It's just it's just to say I'm doing it. You know, I put mm -hmm. it on and I'm like in la la land all the way to work. I'm like I don't even know what I heard. So I've just kind of found sometimes it's okay, and this is for me. Sometimes it's okay to not necessarily be downloading something. Sometimes yep. it's okay to throw on music Be, or yep. call your mom, you know? Yeah, 100%. And other times, like when you're feeling the itch, um, it's really good. And that's that's when you really need it. I would say it's exactly like what you said earlier with rolling out information. And is it pertinent or relevant to what you're trying to solve at that point? The number of times that I've yeah. uh, listened to a book or, or I've been like, oh, this was my favorite book. 
and then I recommend it to someone and it's been, you know, four or five years and I go back and listen to it like, I actually don't really like it that much. I don't know why I would have, but it was because that at the time, like yeah. whatever it was, was super relevant. And I was like listening to it. And then an hour later I was like in a conversation and applying what I had just heard in that. It's like, but then there's other seasons. I completely agree. I've gone through like, yeah. I call it just like audio audible burnout where I'm, I have like, I'm just going to like go for a run and like not yeah. do or think or listen to anything. Cause I just can't, my mind's too clogged. Yep. I, I look at books as like they're medicine, you know, what are your symptoms and what do we need to prescribe? So mm. that's how I like to look at it. It's like, what am I going through? What is keeping me up at night? What's a challenge? And then, you know, ask a buddy like, Hey, do you know a good book on leadership or time management or how to have difficult conversations like uh, and boom like my brother he's like the book doctor you know mm. oh you need to read the magic of thinking big and like he's he's really like doctor book and i love that like you know sometimes someone recommends it just like you said and just because it was good for them might not be what you need at that moment yep yep totally what is your favorite movie Oh my gosh, my kids always ask me this and I have no clue. It's like my favorite song. I don't know. I, I'll know it when I hear it. But I always tell them The Nightmare Before Christmas, but I don't really know if that is, but I really did like that one. Um, I'm a big Tim Burton fan. Go figure. Oh, okay. Are you, do you do like hand-drawn or like, uh, like the, the logo that is behind you? Was that inspired by your past or is that the type of art that you would I do? or? Do. I, I couldn't, I could not, like my skill is not like caricature and stuff like that. And uh, I tried my best and I just don't have that. So I hired an artist and, and they eventually got what was in my brain onto, uh, onto paper. But no, I, I love illustration. I love black and white. I liked, I love printmaking and, and uh, uh, linoleum carving and things like that. Very patient type of, of drawing ink, pen and ink mm. stuff. Never a very good painter. Um, but yeah, but again, I, I, I wish I could say I, I, I practice, but man, oh man, I, I haven't really done much more than a doodle. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, how can people get in touch with you? They can call my personal assistant. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan at brothersgutters.com. Okay, cool. I will put that in there. And I found you on LinkedIn. I know you're active on there as well. So I'm really not. I just if someone messages me, I get yeah. an email, and then I'll, then I'll, then I'll be active. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming on, and this is a super fun conversation, and got my mind uh, spinning with lots of other ideas, which is why I like doing this. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for your attention and listening to this episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. Your feedback and comments mean the world to me. If you liked what you heard, please take a second, leave me a five-star review on iTunes. If you've got suggestions for future episodes or just want to say hi, shoot me an email at chris at chriskiefer.com. Don't forget, I make it a point to include all the links to the books, movies, and resources mentioned on this episode in the show notes. You can see those directly below in the description or on my website, chriskiefer.com. Thanks so much, guys.